So we're on a little bit of a generosity kick here for a few weeks because we understand that being a part of the kingdom, uh, it is filled with the DNA of people who are part of Jesus' kingdom are generous people. That's where he's moving us. That's what he was all about. He, God is a giver. God is a giver. He's always been a giver. And then he shows us with exclamation point about five million times giver in the gift of Jesus Christ. God is a giver and his kingdom, the followers of Jesus are generous people. That's just something that they're marked by. And actually he's, he's stretching us more and more to understand what that is. I know in my own personal life, stretching me, what does that mean? How can that look? And I've always found that as I've followed him in that area of my life or with those things in my life, I never regret it. In fact, I begin to tap into what it means to truly live. I get John 10 when he says, I come to give you life and life more abundantly, that as I am living out the the, the example Jesus gave to us of generosity, man, life just begins to really sink and it makes sense and I'm fulfilled. And that's just the kingdom, man. That's the kingdom is generosity. Last week we talked about what does that mean with time? Time, Uh, yes, There is a stewardship of time that God kind of reveals in Scripture. But really, I think the the overwhelming point in the New Testament with time is, is time is opportunity. Time is opportunity. Time is given for opportunities. I look at the time I have as this gift from God and I, it, it's, it's a chance for me to uh, give it back and to take advantage, to seize opportunities. What does it says in Ephesians? Make the most of every opportunity. That's the same phrase as redeeming the time. That's what it means. And we look at time as opportunities and so it causes us to generously give give of our time to whatever it is to help people fulfill or find Jesus and fulfill their life's call. We see it as I I am motivated to generously give my time because there is only temporary opportunities available. Opportunity is not going to always be available. And we're motivated that this time he's given to us, there's opportunities in front of us. And because I've been given another day, I have another opportunity that I can share the love of Christ into this world. I can speak the truth of Christ into somebody's heart. I can, I can be a part of the kingdom that's advancing. And time means more opportunities is what I've been given. That's gener- And it, it just moves us to be generous with our time. The second thing, I want to I remind you that the church, that's just what we've always been marked by. First century, little band of people, guess what? The world in its state was not really interested in the theology of the church. They really didn't care that a man rose from the dead. They didn't believe it. They didn't see it. It sounded fantastic. It sounded uh, outlandish. They, didn't, they, they just didn't hear the message because it's, that's just crazy. So theology did not win the world over, the Roman Empire over. It wasn't resources that won the, the empire over in that time uh, of, of buildings and programs and stuff like that. They didn't have it. They didn't have what won the world over so that literally hundreds of years later, the, it so marked the empire then that it became so recognized. What has won the world through the 2,000 years since Jesus has been here? What has been? It's been generosity of people who have followed Jesus Christ 
the generous one, the one who gave. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. This Jesus who serves, who washes feet, who gives of his resources time. He came to be a ransom for many and he shared all this stuff in his teachings and by his life example, generosity. They just took what Jesus taught them. They lived it out and over and over people began to see who God is, what he does, how he feels about them through the generosity of the people of his followers. That's what won the world over. Historians have looked at this over and over and that's what they have to, they come to that conclusion that it was the generosity, the lifestyle of Christian people. And when you gave Without expecting in return, you shared your time, your resources, your talent. You helped me when you didn't need to and you knew I couldn't pay you back, but you did it. What, what are you doing? What does that mean? Oh, I begin to see the love of God and I want to know more about that God. And then I'm able to share who he was, what he did, and it means something more. Guess what? That was first century. That was second century. That was third century. That's still, that is still the mission at the, at the tip of the spear of the church, the kingdom in our world, is the generous lives of the people that are in the kingdom. And so time. So today I want to kind of go to one more thing. Next week we'll finish, but uh, time. And what, if you want to do three T's, we can do time, talent, and treasure. We can do whatever you want, but I would say I call it resources today. Resources, the generosity of our resources. It's a biggie in scripture. Lots of things are said. In fact, I've been so overwhelmed this week by the sheer volume of different passages and thoughts and ideas that I just had to say, you know what? I gotta pick something. I gotta go with it. And I know people are gonna sit out there and think, well, he didn't talk about that part of that. Well, guess what? You're right, I didn't because I just don't have, we don't have time, right? I already went till 1018 the first service, so. You guys don't want that, the second service. Um, So I I realize I'm not being able to tap into all that's there, but it's definitely a consistent theme through Scripture. How do people use, manage, what do they do with their resources that God's given them? You know, I like to think of resources in this way. Um, You ever go to take your kids to McDonald's? I just did this the other day. I was waiting on Nicole and... And uh, somebody said something about being thirsty or something. So I was going through the drive-thru and I grabbed a drink and then I grabbed a fry. You always got to grab a French fry at McDonald's, right? That's the best thing they have. Um, And so you give your fries to your kids. You know, you hand them back and they're eating them. And then you turn around and you say, hey, can I have one of those? And what do they do? No. No. And it's really kind of like, what? (laughs) I paid for the fries. I brought you to the place where the fries were. I did everything so you, I handed you the fries, expecting nothing in return. You get the idea? It's kind of like with resources, probably how we should think. When God says, hey, I want you to use that part. And when we say no, it's kind of as ridiculous as if, my, you know, Colby with a French fry. I'm not saying it was Colby, but no, my kids have, we tried, but you know, it's kind of as ridiculous as that. So that's kind of the idea, but here's where I want to jump in. You know, hey, 
what is it, 16 months I've been here, 15 months I've been here? How many times have I talked to you about money? I think it's probably a big fat zero or once or twice. I've mentioned it in passing. So I'm not one of those guys, okay? So you can go ahead and, and stop if you're new, your first time here, you're like, oh my goodness, he's one of those guys. Same thing, you turn on the TV, talk about money, you know. I'm not that guy. I've had a philosophy in ministry. I've been blessed to be in places that already get this, that are generous. And so it's been very easy for me to, to just speak about it at times. But, and I've, I've just trusted the Lord always um, as leading an organization. God, you know we're going to be faithful to use what you give us. And guess what? We've always been blessed. Um, I think where I was at at Mackey, we had the four biggest years they had ever had in the history of a 100-year, 90-year church. This last year here, biggest year we've ever had. And so I just, I trust God with that, all right? And you guys have been great. And so I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, but I think it's something we, we I need to personally and for me to remind you and challenge you at times about this because it can leak very easily in our society, Right? Because here's the reality. Let's just look at a few things in reality. If this last year in your household you made $48,000 or more, you were part of the 1% in the world. Yeah, I know it always gets quiet when you start talking about dollars and cents. That's just the reality, right? Trying to figure out what do I talk about? Who are we? Where are we at? Where are we in, in the scheme of things? Well, in the scheme of things, we're pretty rich in our country and our culture. We really are. We're very blessed. In fact, in this, if God looks at the world, right, and the person in Africa is just as loved and just as valuable to him as I am, he died for them just like he did for me or in Asia or anywhere else. God is not playing favorites. So often we tend to think of America as like his favorite son. That's not the case at all. Everybody, when he looks at all of the world he's created, there's no doubt he sees right here a lot of wealth a lot of riches. That's the reality. And so I would safely say we're rich. We're rich. Now I'm going to talk about in a minute, there's a lot of reasons why we don't think we're rich. But we are rich in the grand scheme of things. The other thing is, this is the crazy thing about our culture. Again, I'm speaking in general terms of our culture, not of our, our context, but this is the reality. When they do these studies, the more money we have, the less we give away. The more money we accumulate, the less we end up giving away. And that always reminds us that generosity is not natural. It's not natural. I did not have to teach my kids mine. I had to teach them daddy and mommy, but I did not have to teach them mine. They learned that on their own because generosity is not natural. And that always reveals itself when we begin to look at this stuff. And so, those two things are something that we need to keep in mind when we think about what it is the scriptures want us to know about generosity. So here's where I went, okay? Could have went in other different places. This is a great one, I think. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He's talking to Christians. Command those who are rich. Now, in his day... That was probably something that you could like, yes, yes, and yes. We know who are rich. In our day, I'm saying it's probably most of us, right? 
We need to clue into this because well, there's a lot of times when I've read this and thought, I'm not rich. Skip that passage. Yeah, that's for, uh, you know, you know who, you know. We tend to do that. There's reasons why we don't see ourselves as rich. Um, things like uh, we live on a comparison scale. These things are so cool. I, I wish I had time to show you these surveys, but rich people live in denial. How many times have you talked to a rich person and they say, I'm not rich. And you know, because we, we tend to live in it, and we live on a comparison scale. Like, you know, today they would ask the, the, the questions that have been asked in our cultures, what's rich? Right now, most of Americans would say, well, if you, have, if you make 150000 a year, you're rich. Right? But if you go to someone who makes 35000 a year, they would say, what does it mean to be rich? They would say, well, it'd be 50000 And then if you ask 50, it'd be 70000 it's always a comparison game, right? Because we're always, and, and it's amazing how they've actually, with contentment st- studies, people would say, you know what, I would just be happy if they make 50000 I'd just be happy if I made 70000 And they've actually went back to them when they made 70000 found out they were not content, and their answer was, well, if I just made 90000 I would be happy. So we live on this scale that we don't feel like we're rich because we're always looking at the next level, right? So we don't ever identify as rich. In fact, what it was that one business magazine um, put out a survey to their readers, and obviously this is not my reading group, but um, you know, they said that it was $5 million. You could, if you had $5 million, you can consider yourself rich. Not one, not two, not three, not even $4 million. You're not rich. But if you got five, you're rich. So that's why a lot of times we don't see ourselves as rich, but I think we probably should see this a little bit more. One other reason is, um, you know, we confuse being rich with feeling rich. A lot of times we don't feel rich. The reason why is because our margin is significantly shrunk. We don't have a big enough margin. That's a whole other series and, and thing. And the other thing is rich people oftentimes are plagued by discontentment discontentment. The more you have, the more we want. That's why the word like upgrade is a big deal in our society. We go with a perfectly fine phone, you know, iPhone 6, it works great, does everything well. We go into a store and we turn in that perfectly fine phone and we pay more money for another phone, right? You know what I mean? But what I'm saying is, we, we have. We really do. And what happens, though, is because we have, we get on the hamster wheel of discontentment. Because the appetite, the consumable appetite, is it's not you satisfy it. It only wants more. Look at our culture around us. This is very apparent. Christian or non, they would say, yes, we are a consumable culture who's wanting more and more and more. And so we never feel rich because we're discontent. In fact, listen to these words from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Just a few verses before the one I'm going to read. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We didn't bring anything into the world. We're not going to take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we, are con- we should be content. Those who want to get rich fall into a trap, to temptation, and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Paul is trying to remind us, listen, listen. You begin to make that your goal. You are just asking for all kinds of trouble. 
Now, did he say money is the root of all kinds of evil? No. Money is neutral. Money is neither bad nor good. What we do with it becomes bad or good. And God absolutely blesses and gives and, and I mean, he really does. And you know what? There's people that he wants to just give a bigger sum of money and that's okay. That's okay. That's one reason why I pray Proverbs 8, Proverbs chapter 30 though. I do. Keep me, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and I dishonor the name of my God. This is the guy who had it all, Solomon. The guy who had it all said, listen, why don't you just keep this attitude? God, just keep me in a place where I'm depending on you day in and day out. If you choose to richly bless me, then Lord, I realize that you've given me a bigger responsibility. I'm gonna be honest, I don't pray for riches. I don't spend a lot of time praying for riches. I don't, because I realize what the scriptures say about the rich man. He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because there is so much responsibility that comes with riches, and I know one day I'm gonna stand before the Lord, and you know what? I kinda wanna limit my... (laughs) My responsibility list. Call me a wimp. Call me whatever. I kind of want to avoid, you know. I had so much. What did I do? It's a lot. And so I just keep it simple like that. Lord, I don't want to be stealing. And I don't want to be so rich that I forget you. Because listen to what happens. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant We all realize that happens, correct? Absolutely. Have you ever lived in among a very affluent society? I spent time, some time in the Indian Hills district of Cincinnati. I mean, you're talking like some, you know, big time cash. And it's no secret. We talk about, you know, snob or... uh, you know, aloof or whatever. Absolutely. Because the scriptures realize what we all know, that the more we have, the tendency can be to become arrogant or to trust in uh, or to think that because we have this, we must be this. You know, it's, I, I observe this sometimes. It's so often that when the rich guy's in the room, everybody tends to just agree with everything they say because they were rich, they must be smart. Well, you know what? You might have gotten rich because you were smart, but because you were rich doesn't make you smarter, right? Never really anything to do. Having money doesn't all of a sudden make you smart. Really tough. And so there's a, there, we tend to think and we feed this narrative that people who are rich, they're, they're, they're better, and so their arrogance is so easy to come by. And he's saying, listen, you people who have means, and I'm not, I'm not, t- I'm not, telling you that you're sinful for having those things, just don't be arrogant. And what does he also say? Not to put their hope in their wealth. That's what happens with wealth so often. Our hope migrates. It migrates away from God. And we begin to think that 
My hope is now in what I have. And we begin to think, well, I can, I can protect this and I can make sure of this because I have this. And so often our hope migrates away from depending continually every day on the God who gives all of that wealth. And we begin to think, it's things like this. I like some of this. Um, it's, it's as we get richer so often our hope begins to migrate. I would ask you this question. How much money would you need to accumulate to protect you against all imaginable threats? There's only one word from that. You know what that word is? More. More money. Because truly, at the end of the day, we can't, but we want to. And so we try. And so we begin to hope in what we have. We think we can save our way to safety, maybe. We definitely can save our way to a lot of good things. But at the end of the day, it's the one who gives those things that our hope has to continue to rest on. And this is why I believe earlier why the studies show us that, um, you know, people who make more give less because they begin to take it on themselves completely. And they close their hands because... I can now make this happen and I need to make this happen now because I've been given this. I gotta hang on to it, so to speak. He said that their hope, so that in order to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, 2008 kind of did that for us a little bit, right? Kind of reminded us that our hope needs to remain in God. Um, I think I had, I've passed through people that lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in that. And, and you know what was so cool about that? Is their hope was in God through it all. And you know what? The Lord gives, takes away, whatever. Blessed be the name of the Lord. They're still investing. They're still earning it back. Still doing the right thing with that. But if it does this, they're still fine because they're resting completely in God. You read some of those stories about people that committed suicide, right? They just, they gave up because their hope was in this and not in God. Don't let our hope migrate toward that. And he says this. But to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for what? Our enjoyment. Yeah, absolutely. I thank God for what he's blessed me with. And I do my best at time, at, at, at in different ways to accumulate that or, or whatever. Some of you invest that stuff. Absolutely, that's legitimate. We could preach sermons on that, right? Jesus talked about that. It is given for our enjoyment. But the one thing God always cautions about is our hope resting in that. Our, our trust resting in that. He says, and, but command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. You see, it's always, it's an assumed thing that Christians are good people. He says, but those who are rich, command them to be good. It's almost like you, you have, you need to do gooder. 
That's kind of what those, those words are. It's kind of assumed Christian people do. But hey, command them to do good. Well, they are, you do gooder with what you've been given, you've been entrusted with. Do gooder with it. Maybe that's the only thing you remember this morning. The guy who had terrible English, but that's on purpose. Do gooder. Do gooder. And to, um, and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, scriptures are so perfect. Holy Spirit is so spot on, so insightful. In this way, we lay up, they lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. It's just a reminder, hey, I've never seen a hearse followed by a, uh, a bank truck. We're gonna take nothing with us. And what we do with that which we've been given in this life matters in the next, right? And so in this way, they lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is what? Truly life. This is the difference between kingdom people and other people. Other people are saying, okay, so I have this, so I need to consume it because this is all I have. This is what life is about. Christian people realize, hey, life is much bigger than this. I'm gonna take what God's given me. Absolutely, I'm gonna enjoy some of it. I'm gonna give some of it, and I'm gonna realize that this is not the end. In fact, this is just the beginning, right? And so I I wanna use it in ways that bring more people in. But here's what I want to simply leave with you. 1137, watch this. And this isn't kind of a plea like, hey, I'm going to get them in there and I'm going to talk to them like this so they'll give more to the church. I, I really, I tried to tell you earlier, I, God, I just trust him with that, okay? You guys are great. You're going to continue to be great. I believe that. I, I, I want you to give here, I, I, but I would stress that you give other places we all, we do that, give to other things. So this isn't, hey, just kind of a, I hope you get that. I have to reiterate that sometimes because people have preconceived ideas. But here's what he says, and be generous. I just want to leave you with three things about generosity the scripture teaches. This, generosity is not contingent on your circumstance. Second Corinthians chapter eight, the first four verses, this is like the meat of what, uh, a lot of what God shares about giving money in the New Testament. Second Corinthians 8 and 9, huge things. These people were commended by God, given as an example for us. It says they gave when they were in extreme poverty. They gave when they were in extreme poverty. Christian people, wherever we're at on the scale, we learn to be generous wherever we're at. Not when we reach something, we establish that lifestyle now so that when, if we do reach something, we still have it as a habit and a practice. And generosity is not contingent upon circumstances. They gave out of extreme generosity. They are an example for all of us. Second thing is generosity is about the percentage, not the amount. God is not impressed by zeros. God is not impressed by zeros. He is impressed by percentages. Listen, you remember the classic story, right? Jesus is sitting watching the people give their offerings in the temple. Uh, Mark chapter 12. 
Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Did you get that phrase? Large amounts. A poor widow came and put in two very small copper copper coins. Might, right? Basically researching it, it was the equivalent of six hours worth of work. Not very much. Worth only a few cents. Large amounts. I don't know. Six hours worth of work. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more. What? No, she didn't. No way. Large amounts, two copper coins. Was Jesus delusional? No, in God's eyes, it's percentage, not amounts. He's put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth. She, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. That's what moves God. Because honestly, so often we get to think, I gave a thousand bucks to this. And for some of you, that's chump change, right? But we think the amount matters. It's percentage. God looks at percentage in our life. I would just stress this with you, remind you of this. And I know you guys, through the years, we've, we've offered money management classes. We've done stuff like that. Um, but I would just remind you that most people in today's society, $50,000, if you make $50,000, they give 6%. And it's normally by accident. <laughs> it's spontaneous. It's emotional. You hear a good cause. You give to it. You come to the end. You do your taxes. You're like, oh, wow, I gave 6%. I didn't even realize I did that. I would just... I would just throw a little word out there to say if you want to realize that generosity God is calling for you and your resources predetermine predecide ahead of time what you're going to give and do it first do it first or yes do it first say I'm going to give this amount and that's what I'm figuring in because so often we come to the end right and it's leftovers and we don't. And so he, God is looking at percentage, not amounts. The third thing is, though, this is the cool thing. Generosity is about living abundantly. Listen to this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And about this time, you're used to the health and wealth guys going, sow a seed! Right? You can just hear it right now. That's not what I'm trying to do with you. But I am trying to tell you there is an absolute principle through Scripture. The people who live open-handed, not closed, realize a life of abundance. They recognize a life of abundance. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. They have freely scattered the gifts to the poor. Their, righteous and, their righteousness endures forever. 
Now he who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will also supply, that's another sermon, and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you, might be, you can be generous on every occasion. Basically what I'm trying to tell you is scriptures teach that when you choose to live generously, you enter into a life of abundance. I have seen this over and over and over. I have seen people make generous decisions and all of a sudden God hit them in abundance in such a way they can't explain it. Now I'm not gonna promise you every time, just like on TV, sow a seed, $10, you'll get 1,000, you know, or something like that. That's like people's investment plan. That's not a good idea, you know. But what I'm saying is, is that the promise of scripture, absolutely the law of sowing and reaping in this way is when we are generous, God blesses our lives abundantly in many ways, in many ways. Amen? All right. That's the promise. This is the call. We get a chance to make a difference. We get a chance to to use what God has given to us in a way that lays a firm foundation for the life beyond. We do. But what's crazy is that when we open our hands and we live generously, time, talent, treasure, resources, whatever, when we live generously, we begin to realize an abundant life. We begin to realize what Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. When we live generously, all of a sudden we're making a difference. We're influencing this. We're able to do this. We, and we live beyond ourselves. And we get to see things that matter beyond ourselves. We get to see things for us that matter in seeing people brought into the kingdom. And our lives are just become full, full, full and we sit on our rocking chair on our front porch at 80 years old and we look back down through our lives and you say, yes, that's how I wanted to live. That's what I wanted to experience. That's what I wanted to see. And we've got relationships and friendships and influence and people that are just absolutely grateful to our lives because we lived generously. And we realize what Jesus had always been about and what he calls us to be. A life of generosity. Lord, speak to us. I know when I speak on this, study this, Lord, you're always zeroing in on me. You're always showing me, always teaching me. You're always convicting me. Lord, the scripture is true if we will so sparingly we'll reap sparingly if we'll so generously we'll reap generously and Lord that means a lot more things than just money back although a lot of times I've seen you do that in incredible ways but it means a life that is just reaping abundance in all different ways relationships and influence God please Help us to see this is the life that you've imagined for us. And Lord, if we're tempted as we are, and I am, to sometimes say, no, you can't have my French fry. Remind us, Lord, that you're the one that gave us the French fry. And Lord, help us to live with that perspective and understanding when you call us to do something, you're gonna do something great with it. And that actually you have given us things for our enjoyment. You're not trying to grab everything from us and rip it away. But Lord, you also give so that we might use to do things that matter. 
Thank you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys are free to go. I've preached my money sermon for the next year, so I feel great. No, I'm teasing. Have a great day.